Very much like coming home, it's good to see uh, a lot of familiar faces or maybe more apropos, some familiar eyes through, through all of our masks and so on and so forth. It's been a challenging time, has it not? So let me ask you a question. This question may seem a little unnecessary, even self-evident, but have you, uh, have you ever had your hopes dashed? Really, Pastor Ed, you're going to ask us that question in light of everything that we're living through in these tumultuous days? Have you ever had your hopes dashed? Well, so what is hope? You know, there's a definition that I read uh, online. I read it recently, and it has some meaning. It has some validity. Hope being a confident expectation that something's going to turn out, something's going to happen in your favor. Yeah, that's pretty good. But really, you know, that's, that's really more a definition of optimism than it is of hope. And, 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 and by the way, like, I'm all for optimism. And I'm all for being optimistic. But there's a difference between optimism and hope. Hope is, here's a definition for you. Hope is the trust and the peace that God will fulfill his promises to us. However, in ways that may be difficult for us to see. But will always lead to freedom. And it's important to make that distinction, right? It's important to make that distinction between optimism and hope because if not, then you'll find yourself, as often is the case, I know it has been for me since March, struggling with all kinds of different emotions, all kinds of different challenges. You know, uh, CAMH, the Center for Addiction Addiction and uh, Mental Health, has recently published a study that as a result of this pandemic that we're going through, as a result of starting in March of this year, there's been a, they, they, they list in their study, there's been a rise, an exponential rise in spousal abuse, an exponential rise in tensions in homes throughout the area. There's been a 50% increase in crisis calls to kids' helplines. Apparently double the amount of alcohol and drug use in day-to-day used throughout our homes, and uh, they did a recent survey, and only 8% of those responded, those respondents to the survey said that they were happy, meaning that 92% are unhappy. A 750% spike in virtual mental health calls, and an overwhelming number of people who are reporting anxiety and depression. I don't downplay any of that for a moment. I've kind of suffered through some of those same emotions myself. But did you know that the word anxiety shares the same root with the word anger? You know, like this, this kind of tightening up, this narrowing, this squeezing in. You know, your, your, narrow, your focus narrows, your, indeed your perspectives Your very thoughts and attitudes narrow. Your heart tightens up. Your mind just kind of crowds out everything else. And and we do that because of the uncertainty and the ambiguity that comes with this situation that we're living through. It's natural to feel that way. You know, your your mind, your, your very nature just hungers and looks for clarity. Clarity in the midst of this uncertainty. And we're going through some pretty uncertain times, aren't we? Well, I'm hoping and praying that through today, that in God's word, that God will help us to, to establish 
hope and clarity that comes with the hope, as we sang this morning, as we saw on here, the hope of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. So without further ado, let me pray, and we're going to dive right in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. We're going to look for verses 36 to 52. Father, thank you that as we gather here this morning, that you would help us to identify and establish the clarity and the hope that comes with that, to set aside the things that we can so vie for our attention, Lord, the ambiguity that's all around us, Father God, the negativity that seems to be so prevalent these days. We want to set that aside. And rather than focus on optimism, we want to put our hope in the cross and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Father, we do this because we love you and And we know that in Christ Jesus, nothing we can do would make you love us more, or nothing we can do would make you love us less. Your presence and your approval are all we need for everlasting hope. And and as you have been to us, so shall we be to others. And as we pray, we will measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. Yeah, and in that, there is hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to dive right in here. We're going to be in Luke's gospel, in Luke's gospel chapter 24, as I said. Now, so let me just set the tone for you, just establish some context before we dive right in. It's Luke, Dr. Luke, who writes this gospel. He also writes the book of Acts, as we know, as we're familiar with. But he starts this gospel in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, with these words. He says to Theophilus specifically, Theophilus meaning the word really, literally means lover of God, but, it, but, but we benefit from, from that and through all eternity. But he says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, that you may have certainty. Hmm. That you may have certainty, certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. See, right there, Luke is establishing the need for that clarity because there's so much uncertainty. Forget about certainty because there's so much uncertainty. Let's focus on clarity because everything changes as it were, it seems, especially this time, day to day, if not hour to hour. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. It's Luke who records Jesus' life from birth to death and, and his resurrection. Luke gives a detailed description of Jesus carrying out his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, announcing the good news of the gospel for all who would believe. So we come today to chapter 24. And at the beginning of chapter 24, we arrive on this very first Easter Sunday morning. Man, you want to talk about hopes dashed, right? You want to talk about optimism kind of fluttering away. Put yourself back into that context. The promised Messiah, or so it was, or so they thought, the promised Messiah, to their knowledge, as they understood, at that moment, lies dead in a tomb. And there they are in the upper room, the apostles and a bunch of others gathered up there in the upper room that first early Easter Sunday morning, and they are very much filled with fear and anxiety and wondering what lies ahead for them. That first Easter Sunday morning, Luke records that a group of women, at the break of dawn, it was the women who had the bravery first, they left the comfort of that room and they go to the tomb to anoint and prepare Jesus' body for burial, or so they thought. 
Luke records three of the women being Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Jesus' earthly mother, and, and Joanna. And Joanna was Cusa's wife, and Cusa was Herod's household manager, and a group of other women. And they make their way to the tomb only to find the stone rolled away, the tomb empty, and angels greet them saying, why are you here? He is alive. Luke records that they rush back. They rush back to the room. They, they tell this incredible tale. And then Peter and John make their way to the tomb and find the tomb em- empty. Two other men are there at this time. They hear this story. They're full of doubt probably unbelief and amazement as they hear this story, but they had already made plans to to head back home. Cleopas and his companion make the journey some seven miles or so from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're going home. But they've heard this story now. It's probably midday at this point, and now this is not helping them at all. This is making them even more bewildered. But they go. And they head out, the two of them. And as two friends would, you know, as you're making your way along this journey, you're having this conversation, you're trying to come to terms with all of this. I mean, it's, it's, it's not enough ambiguity, all the things that have transpired up to this point. And now we hear this story of an empty tomb. Could it be? This is just, what do you think, Cleopas? And as they're going on this journey, the journey that I would call this journey of despair, The two of them are discussing, trying to make sense of everything that took place. It's right here, in this very moment, when their hopes, or more likely, or more accurately, their optimism had been dashed. It was right here, at this moment, where the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ intersects their lives. He did it then, and he's doing it today. Luke records that as they're, as they're going through, it says as they're walking through, they see Jesus probably from a distance, and he's coming, he's drawing near. Luke says that he drew near to them. Now, they didn't recognize him at first, but there was still something compelling enough about Jesus that they didn't have any fear. Put yourself in that place. They're already filled with ambiguity and fear. And here comes, the, they're not sure who it is, but they're not stopping him from coming. Luke records that as he drew near, what happens? Jesus, as he does still to this day, lovingly, gently, graciously, and with respect, he walks along with them. Luke records that Jesus' words to them, hey guys, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? I'm paraphrasing now. And they're kind of, you can imagine, they're looking at him going, what are you new here? Like, don't you not know the events that just transpired? Like, You better come with us. We we better help you through this. And as they're walking along this journey, Jesus with Cleopas and his companion, verse 27 says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, this journey of despair has now become the path of discipleship. Man, that would have been some kind of Bible study, huh? The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ interpreting to them all the things the scriptures had said about himself. 
Now, you can imagine, they're probably, wow, wow, wow. And as they're making their way, they come to their final destination. They come to Emmaus. They come to their home. And Jesus, as Luke records, he's kind of, he's kind of pretending that he's going to carry on. And they plead with him, no, no, please don't go. It's late in the day now. Stay with us here and come in. And he does. And Luke records that he, he opens their minds, he shares a meal with them, he breaks bread with them, and he reestablishes the importance of a relationship. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And their response, I love this, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You see, that's what Jesus was doing. He was bringing clarity Because clarity enables hope. Hope produces confidence, and confidence fuels passion. And we're kind of short on all three of those things these days. All right, I know that was was a long introduction, but now we're going to strap on our seatbelt, and let's now dive right in, verse 36, okay? Verse 36. Verse 36 says, And they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, look at these words, Peace to you. Luke records the very first sentence that Jesus says to this group in the upper room was peace to you. That's the first sentence they heard of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because the last sentence they heard when Jesus was crucified on the cross was, it is finished. And now he says, peace to you. See, this this word here that Luke is recording for us, this peace that Luke is talking about is, is is not shalom, Shalom is, it occurs about 180 times in the Old Testament. It means like harmony between friends and allies. That's good. But here the word is translated as irene. It means an opposite to war. It's not merely an armistice, the end of hostilities. It means that there's an absence of hostility. Jesus has obtained the victory. The dividing wall between God and man no longer exists through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Through repentance and faith, we now benefit from that, and the victory is ours. And the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile and all races and tongues and languages no longer exists. We are one family under God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That victory is yours. You see, Jesus, what Jesus is doing here right now in these first verses is he's addressing their emotions. Paul, the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, He himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between God and man, between Jew and Gentile. It's gone. And he's reminding them there. He's telling them, recover the hope that you know because I'm about to take you to places that you've never been. And look at verse 37. But they, 
those in the room, the 11 apostles and those gathered there in that room at the time, were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. Startled and frightened are emotions. We've all experienced them, maybe to new heights these days. Startled and frightened are emotions, and emotions do not have thoughts in and of themselves. Emotions are responses to your thoughts, and they will cloud the way you see things. It's important to remember that. Jesus, you know, that verse, Luke could have recorded it this way, and they thought they saw a spirit, so therefore they were troubled and frightened. So Jesus is going to address that right now. He said they were troubled, they were frightened, they were conflicted, their emotions were, 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 were ramped up, they were anxious, they had this apprehension. Yeah, I get it, man. We probably would have felt the same thing. That's what I love about God's word. It's so honest and it's so real and authentic. So Jesus is going to address that right now. And look what he says in verse 38. And he said to them, the next sentence that Luke records, the first sentence is peace to you. The next sentence Luke records to this group that Jesus says is this. Why? Why? Are you troubled? Why? You see, you, you always have to answer the question why before you go to the how and the what. Because the, the why determines all the things that you do, your motivation and your perspective. It's always good to come back to the why before you go to the how and the what. And Jesus says specifically, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, he says the doubts are arising in your heart, so they, they've, they're there. They've always been there. Maybe they just lie dormant. And then this crisis has brought them to the forefront. Sound familiar? I know that's been the case for me over these last, what has it been, nine, ten months? Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? What have I done? Have I given you cause that you should feel that way? Have I put you in peril? Have I done anything that would have caused you in the past to make you feel that way? No. So why? Why? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at verse 39. And in this verse, in verse 39, we're going to see the word C-S-E-E. We're going to see Jesus uses the word C three different times in this one verse. See, he's addressing, we have to do this first. He's addressing their emotions before he can start to instill the confidence. He's bringing clarity. He's establishing hope so that confidence follows along. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it's myself, it's me. The very one that you are talking about, the very discussion that you are having, it's me, it's me, I'm here. Touch me and see, there he says it again, a spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see that I have. You see, they were frightened and startled. They probably thought at first that this was a ghost or an apparition or some hallucination that they saw. So they're frightened and startled. He goes, no. And he uses the word see. See, look and examine. Discern, look, see, discern and perceive and, and understand and come to terms 
with the truth. See my hands, my feet, it's me. Touch me, see me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones that you see I have. You know another thing, this is brilliant. Jesus is brilliant while he's God, right? Goes without saying. But this is absolute brilliance here because you know what he's doing here? You know what Jesus is about to do? He's going to invoke, he's going to use all five senses that he gave them and that he has given us to help them come to terms with this, to bring clarity. Seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting. All five of those senses are about to be invoked, are about to be used. God will utilize that right now. I find it also interesting that he says, come and see my hands. Remember that in the not-too-distant past, this was the same hands that Jesus rose, that he got up. Remember, they were on the Sea of Galilee. The storm was raging. They were in the boat. Jesus is asleep, asleep in the stern. They're on top of the boat. They're on board, and the waves are crashing in. And at this point, they think, that's it. We're done. And Jesus is asleep. And they waken him up and they say, don't you care that we're about to perish? He comes on board. The waves are raging. The storm is raging. He raises his hands and he says, stop. And the Gospels record that everything became still. I think it's very interesting. Don't, wouldn't you agree that Jesus come and see my hands? The difference being now that these hands have a gash through them, a hole right through them that you can see the light of day. Because of the resurrection, because of the crucifixion on the cross. He says, come and see, come and touch, see, discern, look, perceive, understand. It's me. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Important. Look, look, look at the feet too. There's a hole that you can see right through the light of day. It's me. And here's an important point to remember. What Jesus is doing here for them, he's reminding them, and he's reminding you and me of this very same point. You see, whenever there is doubt and conflicted emotions that you have, or more, more likely that somebody else has a friend, a neighbor, so on, we do not merely answer the question. You address the questioner. Come and look. Come and see. It's not a debate. This, this is not a competition. Jesus is not just answering the question. He's addressing the questioner. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, Colossians 4, verse 6. He says, let your speech, what you say, always be gracious. Always be gracious. Not just on Mondays or on Sundays when you leave here. And the rest of the week, it's not so gracious. I'm still learning that lesson, believe me. Let your words always, your speech be always gracious. Seasoned with salt. Salt preserves and enhances. It's a metaphor. And then Paul says, so that you may know how to answer each person. Not each question. Each person. You establish that equity, that relational equity, that you can speak truth into the person's life. Jesus says, come here, come, come here. And see, touch. Come on here, guys and gals, 
Verse 41, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? Now, that seems a little incongruent, right, at this moment here. Why is he doing that? Okay, now first we see that their, their emotions are starting to kind of, kind of come down. They're, they're, they're starting to, clarity is starting to set in. They're not so frightened anymore. They're, could it be? Like, this is shock and awe. This, this, is, this is too good to be true. Could it be? You can imagine that as they're, maybe Luke is not recording that they're talking at this time, but the thoughts must be going through their head. Is this really, is this, is this really happening? And then Jesus says, you have anything here to eat? Now remember, he is the resurrected, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ at this moment. Okay, he's not confined by the laws of physics the way they were, the way we are. I mean, obviously, he just shows up. He shows up right in the midst of this conversation. Brick and mortar don't seem to have any issue on that. Do not prohibit him from arriving or leaving or whatever. So he doesn't need food. This is not food for, for calories. This is food for community. It's intimate, right? When you, when you sit down at a table and share a meal. I know we haven't been able to do that probably to the degree that we used to do back in March. That day is coming. You, you, you trust me. That day is coming. And man, we're going to have one amazing banquet. That day is coming. And Jesus is telling them, and he's showing them the importance of reestablishing that relationship. You can imagine, hey, you guys got anything to eat? And, and maybe at this point, this is probably late in the day as, as, this, as this time occurs. And what do they do? What, what Luke says here, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate before them. Isn't that interesting? Fish and honey. This is the same Jesus who took a, a few fish and a few loaves of bread and four, fed 4,000 at one time and 5,000 another time. And now he's sitting there and he's enjoying some fish and some honey with them. He is establishing the clarity and the hope that comes with it. Then verse 44. Look what happens in verse 44. We're going to see confidence now. He's going to instill confidence. There's a, there's a bit of a shift in, this, in, in the narrative now. He's bringing clarity. He's bringing that hope. He's addressing their emotions. Now he's going to instill confidence. He's going to start dealing with their thoughts, right? Because emotions in and of themselves have no thoughts. They are a response to the things you think about. Look what he says. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Remember that? Remember those intimate times that we shared? Breaking bread, sitting, talking, praying. These are my words that I spoke to you. But look, he goes further with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Law of Moses, prophets, the Psalms, the Pentateuch, the Bible as they would have known it. Everything in them points to me. They must be fulfilled. These are my words. The opposite of trouble. The cure of strife. The assurance of things hoped for. The certainty of things not yet revealed. The convictions of things not seen. My words. I spoke them with you. Remember? Intimacy. Jesus says this in John chapter 5, verse 39. I love this verse. 
He says, you search the scriptures. He's talking primarily to the Pharisees at the time, but it's important for all of us to remember. You search the scriptures because you think that in them they have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. This whole book is about Jesus Christ. I am madly, madly in love with Jesus Christ, my Savior. And he hasn't thrown in the towel. He hasn't abandoned us in the midst of this crisis. Oh, no, no. Far from it. Far from it. He's reestablishing the conviction of the hope that comes in the power of the resurrection. That's where I'm going to hang my optimism on. But I need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that because we're bombarded with negative messages all the time. Do the right things. Do the things that, that our, our, our government authorities are telling us to do. By all means, but don't lose your hope. Jesus says this. He says, all these things must be fulfilled. And then look at this, verse 45. Look at verse 45. Now remember this picture, right? They're all there. Cleopas and his companion, the women who, who had seen the empty tomb at the morning. There they are. Cleopas and his, and his companion are getting a double dose of this now. Look at this. They're getting a two-time dose. I'm a little envious of them. Look at Cleopas and his companion. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Cleopas and his companion were probably kind of nudging each other, going, ah, you see, here it comes. We went through this now a few hours ago. Open their minds to the scriptures. It's not something mystical. You know, as I was even reading and preparing for this in the, in the days preceding this, it was, it was like the Holy Spirit kind of led me to this. Here, open your mind to understand the scriptures. Remember what Jesus said? Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see that played out right here before our very eyes. He shared a meal with them. But he reminds them, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in that, I have my hope. He goes on to say, verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written, consequently, it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead. Christ, the promised Messiah. You know what he's doing? He's reminding them of the gospel. And us. He's established the clarity and the hope that comes with that. He's dealing with their emotions. Now he's instilling the confidence. The gospel. The gospel doesn't go away. It's not a one-time thing. The gospel that you were saved, the gospel that you now live in, and the gospel that will continue to transform you, the gospel that will continue to make you into the image of Jesus Christ. Come back to that. Recover the hope. Recover the hope that you have in the gospel. Because I'm about to take you to places you have never been. Jesus, not me. Jesus. It is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. And he's there as a fulfillment of that. Look, 47, and, and that repentance, that repentance is doing that 180, turning away, turning away. I'm now following, I'm no longer following my own ways, my own path, the path of this world. I'm doing a 180, and now I have forsaken that, and I'm following Jesus. Repentance, forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning right here from Jerusalem and from this point on. Sin, I love, you know, I, I came across this definition for sin. I love it. I, 
I want to share it with you right now. Sin, sin is failure to reflect the image of God in nature, in attitude, and in action. Gospel, the gospel affects my relationship with sin because Jesus changes my attitude, he changes my nature, and he changes my actions. We need to be reminded of that constantly. It's the gospel. And notice that the gospel is not something that we do. It's something that has been done by the triune God. One God in three persons. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together on mission. Redeeming sinful, rebellious humanity and establishing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 24, uh, 21. I love this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How about that for some hope? That in him we might become the righteousness of God. Go and tell them from here and beyond. And here we are, 2,000 years later, going through some unprecedented crisis, right? You've heard that term, unprecedented, right? I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some precedented right? Unprecedented and, and pivot and, and, and pandemic, right? That's become part of nomenclature these days, right? Those terms have been inserted I- into our very vernacular, so it seems, right? I, I'm, I don't want to hear those terms anymore. I'm going to trust in the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ. You are my witnesses, he says in verse 48, you are my witnesses of these things. They, they themselves saw that with their very eyes, and now they're looking at the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And a witness, you know what a witness does, right? If anybody's ever testified before a court of law, you, you put your hand on the Bible, well, maybe not so much these days, but you put your hand on, a, on the Bible, and you raise your hand, and before the judge and before the court, you promise the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. I am telling you what I saw and what I heard. You can dispute it all you want, but this is the truth. Examine it for yourself. The grave has not held Jesus Christ. He's eternally victorious over all of his enemies, including viruses and pestilence. He says, behold, verse 49, and behold, behold, I love this, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city. Stay right here. You will be clothed with power from on high. He's he's addressing their emotions. He's giving clarity so that you have hope. He's instilling the confidence and he's reminding them of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1 verses 8 to 10 says, but... Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, witnessing is not something that we do for the Lord. Rather, it's something that he does through us. Channels of his amazing grace. Amen. Okay, then then look now. We're going to come to verse 50 to 53, we're going to see this peace now, which equals, wor- which equals worship. So, so now here we are in verse 50. 
So fast forward 40 days from the very first Easter Sunday, and we come to the day known as the Day of Ascension. Ten days after that is the Day of Pentecost. Okay? So important to remember that. Forty days after this happens, now we come to the Day of Ascension. Verse 50 says, And he led them, Jesus, in this band of brothers and sisters, and he led them as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. All right, so it begs the question, why? Why does he find it necessary to, to, to go out? I guess they were in Jerusalem, maybe they were indoors. Remember, he's not restricted by the laws of physics, right? He's the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to go out and go out into the open to ascend into heaven. doesn't have to do that, but he does. See, he's very intentional here, what he's doing. He's establishing that hope, the clarity, and he's instilling the confidence, and he's reminding, recover the hope that you know, because I'm about to take you to places that you have never been. But he's bringing back some very familiar landmarks. As he, they're leaving Jerusalem and heading the short distance to Bethany, they're walking across the Kidron Valley. Now Luke doesn't record if they're having any conversation at this, at this time. It might have been dead silence, or they may have been having a quiet conversation. At the, but he's walking, and they're, he's leading them. And as they're walking along the Kidron Valley, they're coming across very familiar landmarks. Hey, this is where Jesus would teach us. Remember? Remember that place? Hey, over here, this, this is where we shared a meal with Jesus. And, and just over there is where he fed the 4,000, and, and over there the... The 5,000. And this, yeah, as they keep on walking, that's where he would go off and spend all night in prayer. You see that? You see the, the absolute brilliance in that? As he's instilling in them this confidence, he's drawing their memories back, using familiar landmarks, as it were. Oh, but wait, it gets better. Because they arrive to their destiny. A short distance from Jerusalem is the little town called Bethany. Why Bethany? What's the significance of Bethany? You remember in the Gospels, there's this little family that has prominence in the Gospel, two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Remember that? In the not-too-distant past, it was Lazarus who actually died and lay dead in a tomb for four days. And Jesus is made aware of this. And he said, let's go, boys. We're going. We're going to Bethany. We're going to the tomb. And, they, and as he arrives, and, and Lazarus is dead in the tomb, and he sees his sisters grieving and the people grieving along with them. And he says, roll the stone away from the tomb. You remember what the response was from those there? Lord, by this time, it's going to be pretty stinky. Roll the stone away from the tomb. And then he calls Lazarus by name. And Lazarus, who lie dead in the tomb, walks out of the tomb, risen from the dead. It's here, at this place, in this town, that he leads them to. And what does he do? He raises his hands, scarred as they were, as they were Marred by scars, you could see right through them. He raises his hands and he blessed them. He prayed for them. I love this. 
And, and then he was carried up into heaven. He ascended as he's praying into heaven. And look at verse 52. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Do you see the difference? The distinction between their emotions and their reaction at this point compared to verse 37 where they were startled and frightened? They worshipped him. Clarity enables hope. Hope produces confidence. Confidence fuels passion. They worshipped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. They couldn't stop. Their whole life was this doxology, as it were. They wanted to just tell everybody the praises that come with knowing Jesus Christ. I love that. So as we kind of bring this home to borrow from Pastor Paul, so what? I love when he used to do that. I love when he does that. So what? Well, here's some thoughts for you to consider. Here's some application to take with you. The Bible tells us to take every thought captive in Christ. Think upon these things, whatever is good and honorable and holy, as, as the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Philippians. Think on these things. Ask God to put Holy Spirit-inspired thoughts in your minds. You know, one thing I've taken to do, especially now, since March, is at the very first thing I do, when, the first thought that enters my mind in the morning, before my feet even touch the floor, I say three things in my mind, sometimes out loud. Good morning, Jesus. Really? That's it? It's a start. Good morning. Jesus. Very first thought into my mind. Because, you, because those thoughts will flood into your mind. Especially these days. And by the way, limit your time on these social media feeds. It's like we're getting discipled through our social media feeds, feeds and the news channels that you watch. Limit those intake. Get the news. Of course, do the necessary thing. But then limit that. Because it'll just rob you of your joy. Take every thought captive in Christ. Change the narrative from problem talk. What's wrong? It's all you hear. To solution talk. What is hope for in Jesus Christ in the gospel? Believe in him. Step into the resurrection power that is already yours. He hasn't brought you this far only to bring you this far. You know why? Because he is who he says he is. And the, creators, uh, the creator of the ends of the earth is on your side. He's for you, not against you. Trust him. Worship him. So as we wrap up, as we conclude, let me leave you with this. Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said, Jesus said, the thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they have life and have it abundantly. The thief is not a who, it's a what. 
It can be a who. But in this case, the thief is a what. What is it that's robbing and stealing and killing and destroying? He says, I have come that they would have life abundantly. And that life abundant is an abundant life in Jesus Christ. You know, this virus, it's real. It's evil. It's very much like a thief. God in his power could have prevented it, but in his providence he has allowed it. And if you let it, it may rob you of your joy. Certainly, it may steal away your optimism. It may even try to destroy your hope. But you know what? It cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Let me leave you with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 to 39. Listen to what Pastor, or the Apostle Paul, not Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul says. No. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, here's clarity, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Clarity enables hope. Hope produces confidence and confidence fuels our passion. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you. Your beautiful word today. Jesus, we, 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 we're desperate for you. We need you every hour of every moment of every day. And through this time, through this tumultuous time and the days that we have, have, have lived through and the days yet ahead, Lord, we pray that we would... Just, just find our hope in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ fresh and anew this day. Thank you for your beautiful word, Lord. Thank you for Jesus and thank you for the gospel. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.